One Sunday morning, the stars came almost right, and boom! Out from the crypt came a big and very hungry Cthulhu pillar. He looked for something to ease his gnawing hunger. We will begin a mass invasion. We will tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, everybody. It's TalkCast 161, and it's creepy Cthulhu pillar night here. That is <laughs> the oddest thing I've ever heard in my life, and we're going to learn I all about it. I wish that were it. true, but it's not. Well, yeah, it would, but it is. We're going to learn all about Cthulhu pillar and, and stuff like that with our guest tonight uh, from Signal Fire Studios, Jamie Chambers. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. And the guest remembered to unmute himself. This is good. There's one, there's one in a row. <laughs> I was on a, a all-day conference call on Skype just a week ago, so we so, were. I got this one down. You know the ropes. <laughs> Deep in Area I 51 do. on the sub-level 451 book-burning and fried green tomato body wrap pavilion, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are many of the usual suspects, but they're out of order. In the Revere Time Vortex Violent Soundboard Vixen and Queen of Petroleum Byproducts, Kriana. You know what I love about petroleum byproducts? Tell me. Dinosaur bones. Ah. Okay, having made no sense, we'll just continue <laughs> on with. From the stacks of her personal silent zone in the Dank Dungeon Reading Room, staying cool, calm, and collected while all about her screaming, it is the Zombrarian. That's because... I don't even know. I had something... Every week I have something funny and then lose it. <laughs> dinosaur bones. I, yeah, I got it for you, hun. Ready? Ready? There was a robot. Robot! From the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, the woman with one hand on the grave, and God knows where the other one is, it's the dead redhead joining us again. Welcome back, honey. I'm back and I've got my red monkey pants on. <laughs> oh. So be careful. <laughs> okay. In, in the guest chair tonight, friend of the show, friend of ours, all around cool guy from Brown Coach Redemption, Mike Doherty. Michael, welcome. Hello. Insert witty line here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm the sure. answer to every question tonight has to be dinosaur, dinosaur bone. bones. There we dinosaur go. Dinosaur bones. <laughs> dinosaur <laughs> bones are awesome. Leave me alone. It could be a Tom Snagoski book for all we know. In any case. In any yes. case. In any case. In any case, do you remember what we were going to talk about, or did you like have a senior moment here? Did I remember what we were going to talk about? What the hell were we going to talk about right off the bat tonight? Are you asleep? 
No, I'm not asleep. I'm, Are you dreaming in puppet? I'm dreaming of Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> oh, who's not? There we go. <laughs> and why is that interesting? Was that a question? It was a question. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, was. it was, oddly enough. Oh, snap. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> well, because on the Nerdist channel on YouTube, we love the Nerdist, um, Neil Patrick Harris has a new web series that he's starring in, done also by the Henson Studios, right? And it's called Neil's Puppet Dreams. And it's about Neil Patrick Harris and a very serious affliction that he has, where he dreams in puppet. And this is this is a very serious illness. It, it's contracted by one in about every six billion people. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very seven serious. Now. Oh, sorry, okay. seven. <laughs> seven. It's very serious, and um, he's he's doing this to raise awareness so that maybe someday a cure could be found. No, that's not true. Not at all true, but that's okay. Anyway, they have a trailer <laughs> up, and the trailer was hysterical. It shows some of the guest stars that they're going to have. Uh, you're going to have to go look at it for yourself to find out who. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Um, it's but really cool. the trailer cool itself looking. is incredibly cool. And then they just came out with the first episode, which is entitled Lullaby. And it is basically an entire song, and you can buy the song itself as well. So they're being super smart about it, I think. And I think it's amazing and awesome. Has anyone else you know, seen it? I've well, not I, seen it yet. Not the first episode, no. Oh. But I did see the trailer, which was creepy cool. Awesomely creepy. Yeah. There there so may that. be someone, maybe Neil, having some sort of sexual thing with a bovine puppet. <laughs> Don't, don't, don't. Do we um, need to get Do we need to get creepy jars out already? I, it's not creepy. It's that. it's. I'm literally <laughs> just stating a fact. That's oh, what happens. Um, it may or may not happen. No, it does. Thanks. <laughs> Multiple times. There was a comic about a zombie. And, never mind. It, it's worse than that, like Alf and Jennifer Lopez slash fic that we were oh. conceptualizing oh. with with. Uh, okay, so I think so I just threw up a little. It, it may not be NC-17, but it's certainly working its way into an R-rated series. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, you should go back and listen to the episode. Which episode number was it when we had Cooper on? Cooper Barnes. I yeah, don't, from I'm, the Nerdist. I mean, obviously, it was like just... There's, that's there's why an ongoing head. theme here, evidently. What, what is the that? And, and it's NC-17 150-something, I believe. 150... Thank you. Yes. 150-something. What, 150. So just go back and listen to all of the, the podcasts from 150. They should, on. Yes, they You'll should be doing it. that anyway. Yeah. Right. What What are you What are you doing if you're if you're not doing that? Speaking of diseases that may or may not be afflicting the earth, Zombrarian. And speaking of name dropping, which we do, <laughs> your friend and mine, Mr. Doug Jones, is starring in a musical it's on the internet and it's been compared to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical <gasps> um, and it's called Sudden Death the Musical and it and I want to know is... how many times I can use the word musical, musical in musical. this <laughs> news segment about Doug Jones starring in Sudden Death the Musical 
Um, no, it, it looks like it's going to be really great. It, uh, it, well, it looks like it is really great. It's available right now, and it's about a plague that sweeps through the earth. And there's also a love story. Um, and I'm not. I don't know if I want to tell. Don't, else don't tell. Spoilers. It's it's fun though. It's and great Doug Jones fun. is in it without wearing any kind of crazy makeup. It's which, one of the few times you actually see yeah, Doug Jones as Doug you'll Jones. You'll get to see his face, which is, cool. is probably new for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> it's about 19 minutes long, so while you are on your break, your coffee break at work, you should pull it up and watch it. Absolutely. Yes. Love Zombie The cool thing is it was, uh, I guess, either an experimental or student film and has since become kind of a cultish classic for the fact that, you know, not only is Doug Jones in it, but John Larroquette and a number of well-known other actors. I was oh, wow. going to leave it a surprise. What, John Larroquette? I can't say John Larroquette. Can I say it's a musical? It oh. is a musical. 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 <laughs> musical. Hey, is there singing in that? <laughs> it it is. might be because it's a musical. Will it be on Killer Karaoke? Maybe. <laughs> hey, we have to celebrate a birthday today. Mine? No. No. The Sci-Fi Channel turns 20 this year. So the reality is we're, we're having a cake that has uh, all the figures from Warehouse 13 and Mansquito on it. <laughs> Mansquito! Well, at least one good thing. There we I go. Mean, has there ever been a, a channel that has been so schizophrenic as the Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel? Seriously. I mean, if you think uh... about, you know, this past season, the They've done some incredible stuff, bringing Lost Girl on, uh, Warehouse 13, Alphas, uh, that the, I can't think of the name of that makeup show, that reality Face show. Off. Face, oh, Face Off. Face Off. Love Face I, Off. That's incredible stuff, and some of the worst movies on the face of the planet. Yeah. Sharktopus? I mean, Anything seriously. where you have to mix two big reptile mammals together to have people have their heads eaten off. They've pretty much done it. They pretty much have. Over, over the weekend, the third was stuck in there. <laughs> There's a third one? It, yeah, it, they were very quiet about it, but it actually did release premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel, I think on Sunday. It blew me away that that, that even existed. So I have not the question seen is, the second one was a little bit better than the first one. Is the third one a little bit better than the second one? I cannot comment. I saw lots of people say it had a lot of hilariously bad moments. I saw the trailer, which took itself way seriously to the point where I was laughing. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I feel like sci-fi knows. I feel like they know. No, they do. I laugh at it. them. And I think that they just kind of embrace it and go for it. Uh, I'm friends with a guy who has done work with Sci-Fi Channel at least way back in the day, and he said that they actually make more money off the really awful, um, you know, movies and some, you know, and the crappy reality shows than they ever make over the big concept, more noticeable stuff like when Battlestar Galactica was on. Oh yeah, that it's actually that stuff is the real profit drivers for the network. 
That is Cause it co- Because it costs nothing to make it, or why? Did he explain that? Yeah, yeah those yeah, are all it, movies. They're all shot in, you know, Prague and with, you know, has-beens or never-beens <laughs> starring in them. <laughs> the, make a lot of money. The, the other thing I heard is that those movies are so popular overseas that oh. they pre-sell the movie based on, like, a poster or a concept. So the money gets they pre-sell it use that money make a really cheap movie and put it on the air and then it's just profit driving for them wow <laughs> it's it's just incredible to me that you know they can do such amazingly cool work and just so, some amazingly bad movies mm-hmm. and then there's the whole hey look it's a ghost stuff or, oh my god, that board creek, there must be a ghost, oh my god, I'm scared. Now, speaking of interesting upcoming movies. As in, uh, oh my god, I'm scared? I'm Go scared! Ahead. Possibly, yes, possibly. No, I saw the trailer for, uh, there's an Aussie film that's coming out that's called, of course, now that redhead has forgotten the name of it. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> because that movie. Yes, that movie. It's got that guy. And that other that guy from NPR. I love those guys. But no, it's got this... Hold on. I will get the name. But it's this this uh, zombie movies. And I know everybody is kind of, oh, no, not another zombie movie. But uh, Excuse me. I know. And that's what I mean. We can't have enough of them. I agree with you, Mike. That's, that's the issue. <laughs> is that I agree with you. Another zombie movie, Jan. <laughs> no, but you hear this sometimes. Everybody's like, well, what about the genre? Well, these guys had a trailer up, and they're trying to raise some money for it. And the name of it is actually... Oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> the name of it... Google is your friend. Dinosaur phone. No, no, no. We have it on our <laughs> Facebook site, everybody. We have it on the Facebook site. Um, it's just... Oh, there it is. Sorry. Um... Wormwood. That's why I was trying to think of Wormwood. Awesome. Alcohol at the time. But anyway, um, it's called Wormwood with a a, a Y for the Wormwood. And they have the clip up. And the clip was really cool. They had zombies coming out of dirt. Like, Like there was a flat piece of dirt. And then suddenly zombies were coming out of it as the guys were fighting the walking zombies. So it was really, really cool. And the thing is, they're raising money for it, but the way they're raising the money is if you go there and donate to them, a big chunk of it is going to the Red Cross at oh, the nice. same time. So and for $40, you can get, when the movie comes out, you can get um, a copy of the movie signed, a poster signed, um, the double disc set that includes the outtakes and all that kind of stuff. But for even just 10 bucks, you can get a digital download of the movie when it's done. That's nice. So it's Australian, so I'm sure there'll be jokes about Barbies and things like that. So. And cans and scooters and, yeah, whatever. Oh. Speaking of uh, other movies that are happening, there's a ton of, like, movie news this week for some yes. reason. Uh, Pacific Rim is gone. <gasps> viral with <gasps> just throwing all kinds of stuff out on the web uh, graphics and, and a, uh, a 90 second uh, video that is incredibly bizarre it's kind of a cross between 
uh, Apollo 13 and uh, Godzilla. It's very strange. And it I looks- cannot wait to see this movie. I am so excited to see this movie. I hope it lives up to its rep. I mean, it's still Toro. Right, so it- but, but so- that's still a crapshoot. That's true. Well, it's a better crapshoot, though. You have more chances of winning on that one. Well, yeah, but, it's better than Transformers, I'll grant you that. It's not going to be Michael yeah. Bay. Right, exactly. So it might actually have a plot that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am so excited from these trailers that they're starting to leak out. And I, they were not they were called Kaiju. You know, they had this big, tel- old-fashioned color scheme up and it was like kaiju alert and it was like that's very cool yeah the, the, the tag phrase is giant freaking monsters versus giant freaking robots I love it I love it with that so, and then there's uh, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past it's going yep. to talk about that right now I will be honest I am really really nervous about that why is that Just- just because a Brian Singer's coming back, and I think Matthew Vaughn did an amazing job, kind of re- rebooting the world with First Class. Agreed. That I do not want to see another X Men United. No, you don't. Mm. But by the same token, I'm pretty sure that I do want to see Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen again. You know what? I'm going to see Ian McKellen in like two weeks in The Hobbit, so I've got my fix there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, First Class was my favorite. X-Men movie so far and I would have been cool with just going with that. Moving forward in that direction yeah I know yeah. I know. I'm not sure how why this happens uh, but uh, McAvoy Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence and Nick Holt will also be returning uh, Yeah I think it's a time travel alternate universe thing well, they they kind of touched on the storyline in the I think it was the X Men United when they they had um, them in the training center and there was the hint of the Sentinel. That's right, all. That's end. all from X Men Future Past. Right. But yeah, I just I was ready to let Brian Singer's X Men go, and now I just feel like somebody kicked me in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but- it, it still could be good. I mean, honestly, it really comes down to me for the script. If it's written well, then, I mean, Brian Singer is a good filmmaker. He can make a good movie. And well, that yeah, cast no is really that. good. I mean, as yeah. long as you give that if, give that cast something passable, they'll work with it. As long as Holly Berry is not there. Or is uh. she back? Or as long as she changes her accent another time, just to make <laughs> We noticed that. You're a very sharp guy. You're a very sharp guy, Mike. She, she, could, she could be from Hungary this time. It would be much better, I think. Jeez. You know what? I would like to see her do a French accent just to just <laughs> screw with everybody. You just almost made me spit take my beer. You're welcome. Thank you. Only you. <laughs> what happens to a toad that gets struck by lightning? <laughs> a croissant. <laughs> oh boy. Le Royale. No, bit, different movie altogether. Never mind. Yikes. Um, and then there's there's uh, uh, Star Trek news. Like I was going to say, speaking of the Royale. 
Yeah. Remember that episode? That was a cool episode. It was classic. Mm-hmm. Classics, classic next gen. So they just found some, like, I don't know if the footage was necessarily lost, but it was certainly, like, in somebody's basement. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they have some extended scenes from A Measure of a Man, which I guess is a very famous episode. Yes. We got season one or season two of Next Gen. That was season two. This is my your Star Trek nerd talking. Awesome. Two. <laughs> Which one is that? Okay, wait. The, the measure. Wait, a measure. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. A measure of a man is the one where Data goes on trial to see if he's a person or if he's just property of Starfleet. Of course. Yeah. Okay. That was like classic. And then there, there was also I think they said some footage from Q Who. As well, and so this this is going to end up on the Blu-ray of season two, and also they are showing it in San Francisco at the Irish Chieftain on Fifth Street at five thirty. Oh no, no, that's when they're meeting. Oh gosh, where is it? Thursday at seven. Fathom Events. Yeah, all right. There's there's going to be a link. So a measure of a man at Q Who and in San Francisco. It's going to be awesome. Be there. Aloha. And whoever wrote this article, Charlie Jane Anders, thinks Dr. Pulaski is totally awesome. And I really? think they need their head examined. I agree. Like, well, doctors she's ever so bitchy. And, and he says, or at least better than Dr. Crusher in Bizarro what? World. <laughs> I mean, like, on. come on. Let, let, just like Dr. Crusher was hot and Dr. Pulaski was really, really, really not. <laughs> So I have, I have a little bit. Cold. Of, I've got a little bit of next gen kind of marketing business or bitterness because I saw the. I got really excited as I came around the corner because I'm in the store and I see the Star Trek: The Next Generation Pez set. Nice. And I was like, oh, "This is man. awesome!" And he, it has everybody, including Lacutus of Borg, except <gasps> for there are no crushers at all in this pack. No, what? Wow. Well, There's no glorious motherfucking Buffon. <laughs> there, there's no Doctor Crusher, and there's no shut the fuck up, Wesley. There's like no Crushers at all. That's basically uh, criminal. Wrong. But there was a Pulaski. No, well, Good. not really. All right, well, fine. Was okay, there at least so a Deanna no or a Guinan? Yes. There's Deanna. There's a Worf. There's a Data. There's a Riker. There's well, you um, have to have Deanna and Worf and Riker, Deanna? otherwise you can't make a sexy Pez love triangle. <laughs> Oh, there's there's even a rendition oh, of the what? ship. <laughs> is there a Guinan? No. Why? Well, so you would think that there would be a Guinan because her hat would make it really easy to lift up her head. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Guinan, Guinan I'm sure that was the friendly. decision. Like, hmm, who should we make? Well, her hat would make it really easy to use. <laughs> That's right. Well, the the cube has uh, only shows up every twenty minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dome, who's that guy who plays Q? That would be uh, uh, John Delancey. Good job! You remembered his name. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I know. In other Star Trek news, Star Trek Into Darkness, the first Star Trek movie without a colon. And colon. Without, oh, sorry. Hot as well. Uh, <laughs> I have no, no hope that J.J. Abrams is going to actually treat this any better than he treated the but, first but, but one. But Benedict Cumberbatch. 
I but, get that. Yeah. And Benedict Cumberbatch in this film, in an obvious nod to Wesley Crusher, in all of the leaked photos from set so far, has a glorious motherfucking glorious. Woo! <laughs> as long as our priorities are straighter. Right. Like, seriously, it's Elvis hair. It's, it's amazing. It's really <laughs> sexy. But at the same time, production is starting with that. Production also begins with Star Trek Renegades. Woo! Yes. Woo! Who reached their $200,000 Kickstarter goal and then some and have since uh, had a number of new announcements for other characters that are going to be uh, in the show. And we've spoken with the Star Trek Renegades people. They will be coming back to the show. And yes, cool stuff. Because we had such a this, good time with them is, last time. They were so cool. They were. They were. They absolutely were. And and Corey Nemec should should oh, be man. on the show. I want to talk to him so bad. He's so cool. Sorry. That's okay. You're entitled to. <laughs> I promise not to be you as know? bad as I was when Jim Butcher was on. I was like, hi. You, can. <laughs> you were very tongue-tied. Yes. So it was cute. It was cute. One How person... often does that happen, though? To me. Uh. To you? Okay. Well, Dom, if we were counting you, it would be every time. Every freaking week. That's this right. my first night back for, from my mini vacation, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dead Redhead, I only did your voice like one time. That's so not a true. I hope you did a better job than our il illustrious Illustrator X making me sound like something from a, a Monty Python sure. sketch. <laughs> <laughs> But I did the poll. I did not do it as well as you did. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You did the poll? I did the poll. No, 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 Mike. No, no, no. Not like what? that. Not like that. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Creepy, Creepy jar. jar. I was all, I was being all speaking innocent of... and people are twisting my words. What the hell? So speaking of Sorry, I was, poll, reading, to, I was to reading an article. It. I was reading an article about Eliza Dushku. <laughs> Shut got up! Off. You were not. You were reading the new Dresden Files book. <laughs> I yes, know I you. Speaking, speaking of the poll, I think it's that time. Is it that time already? Did, did, oh was gosh, there anything important that we forgot to talk about? Well, the only thing that I want to talk about is when we get the guys from uh, from Star Trek Renegade on. There was one guy. One guy pledged to be. A red shirt in the film. Aww. He he put up ten grand to be a red shirt. I want to know who this guy is. Awesome. I want I want him on the show. Really <laughs> yeah, who has that kind of money? I, I think I know who that is. Ten grand. Yeah. Ten grand to die. I would do that if I had ten grand lying around. Yeah. No yes, shit. I agree. Totally I'm jealous. That. So, yeah. Join the club. <laughs> Obviously, none of us won that $500 million. Because so. otherwise, yes, I'd be that damn red shirt right now if I won. So what was the poll last week, Dead Redhead? It's two actually, weeks ago, it was, actually. It was two weeks. We let people That's have a long right, time That's right, and I vote. still did, and, so. <laughs> <laughs> and in Which honor would make of, you zero for 50 No, I voted in at least one. One. Two. <laughs> 
in honor of the holiday season starting, we were trying to find fun things. And what I came up with is I asked everybody who their favorite sci-fi dog was. Because we just had the Kennel Club show on that happens every Thanksgiving. And I love watching the little the little dogs and the big dogs that you don't the Commodores, because you never get to see Commodores like no walking down the street. Anyway. Right? I mean, they're the coolest dog ever. They look like Every- a cross between a mop and a, and somebody's Rastafarian wig. I mean, wow. <laughs> they're the coolest dogs. Way to make them sound but appealing. But anyway, we asked. <laughs> Way huh? to make them sound appealing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got the coolest fur ever. It's 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 bizarre. You have to see it. Go Google it, folks. Oh, a common door. I'm doing it right now. But anyway, we asked everybody about their favorite sci-fi dog. And we started off with like five or six, and we must have had 25 different dogs show up afterwards. Some really obscure things that ended up coming up. But we have our top three, and in at number three is the dog Blood from A Boy and His Dog. What a great movie. Terrific movie. Don Johnson at his finest. And the book, thank you, Mr. Ellison. Well, short story from Mr. Ellison. Um, if you haven't read that one, folks, you should. It's a really fun little story. And, and I hate to say it, yeah. the movie's horribly dated, but still incredibly cool. It is. That it is. And it, even more so the fact that Don Johnson actually acted in that movie, I think. It may have been one of those few shows he actually did act in, other than wearing a pastel suit in a car. But Coming in at number two everybody's favorite real favorite Doctor Who companion, K-9. Yes. Sweet. That would have been my pick. Yep. See? I've, I've got my K-9 bobblehead sitting right next to me. I love K-9. <laughs> and then coming in at number one, because we had to get the superheroes in there somewhere, number one favorite dog for everybody, science fiction favorite dog, is Underdog! Absolutely is. Absolutely was. You saved the day. Okay then. <laughs> so we will. We have a couple more ideas for the polls coming up as we go into more of the holiday season. By the time folks hear this, it'll already be December. So. So. Yeah, that's, that's the way that whole calendar thing works too. Yeah. Hmm. We do. What we do. So vote. Vote this coming weekend. Vote early. Vote often. Pretend you're in Chicago. Anyway. (laughs) Which brings us to the second half of the show, whereupon we meet once again Jamie Chambers of Signal Fire Studios. Jamie, welcome again to the show. Thanks, everybody. Woo! So, when when I found out about you being on the show, Kriana calls me up at my other job and goes, do you know who this guy is? And I went, no, I didn't even know we had a guest yet, much less who this guy is. And she goes, when I was in college, I played his games all the time. Yeah, that's exactly what they sound like. (laughs) Okay, listen to yourself in playback, because it kind of is. But that's Manly and overdramatic? (laughs) Sorry, dead redhead. (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> so, Jamie, talk to us about Signal Fire Studios and what's going on. Uh, Signal Fire Studios is my little one-man show that I started. 
and we put out um, we have several uh, little digital only products that are available online but and we have actually one game that currently in the stores um, a card game that came out called Building an Elder God so that's the first thing you can actually go to your local game store you can order off Amazon or from the website and that looks uh, really cute by the way Jamie thank you yeah that's a, it is a it is a HP uh, Lovecraft Cthulhu Mythos inspired Kind of, but in the in the style of pipe game, so you're ba essentially uh, you're you have a hand of tentacle cards in your in your hand, and on your turn you can you're working to complete a tentacled slimy monster and trying to finish yours before anybody other player finishes their creature. Or alternatively, you can take a shotgun and blast off somebody's tentacle to slow them down so that you can finish your I'm monster do first. That one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fun, but you can't you can't actually win that way. It's a combination of knowing when to strike and when to build. I would probably be really bad at it then. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to say I'm a Kickstarter backer of that game and have a copy of it. I just I love it. It's awesome. Thank you. Who did yeah, the artwork for you, Jamie? That actually the 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 artwork and uh, the the whole idea of doing the game itself came from Ben Mund who uh, Firefly fans might know is the creator of the Atlas of the Verse. And Ben and I have known each other for a while, so he literally, I mean, that was, that was, working with him was so easy and fun. So, yeah, he literally, he's like, I have this idea for a game, here, check it out. And it literally, once we got it going, it just sort of took care of itself. Ben is is creative, he's timely, he he throws a bunch of ideas and is willing to, to make changes. He, he's both professional and a lot of fun to work with so it was just a blast so everything including the box art the only thing I really did on the design side was I I developed the game made sure everything played okay I made a few little tweaks I completely rewrote the rules from the draft that he presented me with and I redid them on my own and I did all the layout but he did the box design all the cards and all that and I just handled the production and actual publishing of the game well, it looks very cool yeah, it is a yeah. very pretty card game. Yes. And that was also, like Mike said, the very first thing um, I ever funded through Kickstarter. I've done one more. The next big thing that I'm working on right now um, is the second one. But, but yeah, and it was a great success. But it was like, but Cthulhu always helps. Yes. <laughs> well, it certainly doesn't hurt. Speaking, that's for sure. Taking us one step Cthulhu, closer to insanity. Uh, we opened the show with a uh, a snippet of... I guess a book project that you're working on right now called The Very Hungry the Very Cthulhu Pillar. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's talk about so, that for just a minute here. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I was I absolutely love it. That was a little preview snippet and actually that sound clip was literally um uh, my voice actress friend Prentiss Osborne. Um she literally did a couple different reads and variations and that was the one we went with that she'll, she's using for the whole uh, actual recording we're going to do for the audio the audio slash video multimedia approach uh, to this one um, and so I, but I, I liked it so much I didn't want to just you know hold on to it and wait I wanted to share it with everybody early so I put that clip up on my website uh, but what the Very Hungry Cthulhu Pillar is was yet again another idea Ben had and it just sort of evolved he literally did a little mock book cover, a parody of a classic piece of children's literature, and he put it online as just a kind of a joke and as a way to promote the Kickstarter of uh, Building an Elder God. 
and everybody reacted to it and we loved it and then I put it on a t-shirt and people started buying the t-shirt and then it was just like it made no sense to not go ahead and do the whole book so so Ben literally did the artwork and you know came up with what this particular book would actually be like in terms of text I helped with a little bit with the Lovecraft references and some you know and actually did editing and that kind of thing and so you can actually go ahead and for five bucks you can buy the ebook version of Very Hungry Cthulhu Pillar Done. right now that's on my That's website. Awesome. <laughs> on my website, it's on Drive Fiction. It's on the Paizo.com web store, whichever place people like to buy stuff. And it is, yeah, it is ridiculously subversively fun. Um, and then, so now the next thing we're going to do is actually do the multimedia version where we actually have, I mean, you heard that little clip. It's going to be like that the whole way through. But, I, but, I, I, but what, format are you, what format is that coming out as? What, 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 are we, what is that final product going to look like, sound like? Actually, I mean, a good question because I'm definitely going to be putting up a little trailer of the first part of the book where it'll actually literally look like the book and it'll turn the pages as she's reading. Nice. What I don't know, what we're going to figure out is whether or not we're actually going to just sell that as a little mini movie and just go that route or whether I'll put it up on YouTube with advertising uh, to generate a little revenue. I'm, we're still kind of feeling our way out of how, which model we're going to go with. Um, and there is going to be a print version of the book as well. That's there's going to be a um, kind of a limited edition for the Kickstarter backers um, who asked for that one and pre-ordered uh, through that process. But I'm at this point, it literally has grown into this whole thing where I'm very uh, probably literally within weeks of making the plans to actually do an in-store through distribution, you know, hard copy version of the book for sale in stores. That's awesome. Nice. Very cool. Well, speaking of Elder Gods, um, a, a fan of yours actually took the time to do a How to Play Elder Gods game video, didn't they? Yeah. I, I, the first part of what you just cut off, Mike, what did you Oh, say? I'm sorry. I said uh, a fan of yours actually took the time to make an How to Play Building an Elder God game that you can see on YouTube if you're interested in checking out the game. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll, we'll post the that. Um, Matt Lemke, uh He's, he has his own uh, vidcast that he does. We actually did an interview with him at that convention as well. That was up in o Hudson, Ohio, at uh, Con on the Cob. Uh, my friend Andy Hops. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's an awesome name for a con. I go there every year. It's one of my favorite smaller shows. Uh, it, it, I always have a blast. And um, so <laughs> went up there and Matt, we did two separate videos. One was that actually little actual play session. That, uh, that Mike was talking about and then we did an interview where I just talk about the company and the games and the books and the t-shirts and all the other stuff we got going on. Oh, that's another one for the, the, with the whole Lovecraft theme too. Not only do we have the, the Very Hungry Cthulhu pillar, but we also have Pony Thulu. Friendship is Madness. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> we know some people who would just like Just a few. <laughs> I think of the two that's my favorite outside of the audio of the reading of the book. Hmm. No, I, I would really, you know, so, you know the way the way Rob Watts put a book with a CD together, having a hard copy of the book with that reading voice of it would be amazing. You terrify many more children that way. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> That's everyone's goal here. I know. So I think the yes. best way to corrupt a child would be to play that first, right when they're going to bed, and then as they're going to bed, play Samuel Jackson's "Go the F to Sleep." <laughs> Mike, you, you can say fuck on, 
on the show. Oh, I could yeah. say fuck? Yes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> no fucking problem. It's a lot. When I saw the video of Samuel Jackson's reading of that, that's what inspired me to do the video plus audio version of this. Nice. That's just, I mean, I, no, seriously, I just got to have that. Absolutely got to have it. And, and I think anybody who's, who's into Lovecraft, Cthulhu, or terrorizing young children needs not this. Into, we're all yeah, who's loved. not into terrorizing young children? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And just in case we haven't had quite enough H.P. Lovecraft stuff yet, I actually just came out uh, a couple weeks ago, is a collection of um, Lovecraft-inspired poetry and microfiction from Popcorn Press called Cthulhu Haiku. So, Jamie, I have this concept for you. It's called Vacation. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But wow. <laughs> well, I didn't publish that one. That was my friend Lester Smith's company, Popcorn Press, but I wrote a, a very p- short piece of fiction called The Altharian, so anybody who likes cats and Lovecraft should check that out because I wrote a little story uh, with f- it's you know felines and ritual murder. Um, so felines. You're all so get that for Christmas. Yeah, nothing says Christmas like uh, felines and ritual uh, felines murder. Felines ritually murder all the time. Do you have cats? I mean, come on, everyone knows this. Absolutely. Well, there's there's a an early uh, Lovecraft short story called The Cats of Ulthar. Um, and basically, I just do a riff off of that. I, I literally tell the same events of that of his story from a very different perspective. So, one of the things that's on your website is a free game. It's yes. called a downloadable print and play game called Demon Dice: The Zany Game of Eternal Damnation. I feel like there needs to yes, be an app for the, that. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's, a, there's actually app games is a whole other thing I'm looking into and hopefully uh, have stuff to say about that in a couple months and then you'll be but, right back here to tell us all about it won't you no anytime you want Dumb, that was really creepy none whatsoever um, thank you yeah Demon Dice uh, is, a, is a game um, that came out from uh, Timothy Brown and uh, Lester Smith and basically, what we've got here on the website is one where you can download, print your own on sticker paper, and sticker your dice to make it yourself. Um, and at least for a while, they were real manufactured dice that you could get through a link from that file. But on Demon Dice, it's it's a construction game where basically you build a, a demon out of spare parts, and uh, and you're essentially you attack, you fight your monster versus somebody else's. So depending on how you construct your monster attack versus defense, movement, special abilities, which dice you pick um, will depend how the fight goes versus the other monster. So it's a, it's a fun fun little game, easy to learn, and, uh, and then the file we had included some of the expansions so you can really uh, kind of mix and match what kind of monster you want to do. I like making monsters. That's a and great you're concept. You're giving that away for free? That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's well. I mean, you have to do all the work yourself. It's really it just this. That's that was the very first offering before I ever had anything to sell. I put out a, a game for free, and then from that point on, every single thing I put out will have a digital version. All of the card games I've got have a print and play. So if you want, if you just want to spend five bucks and then do all the work yourselves to put your cards together, then you can. 
Uh, I got building Elder God was available that way and still is. Um, our second card game, Pantheon, is already available as a print and play game. That's a mythology themed game. Uh, um, so everything I ever do will have a digital version for techie people who prefer to do their stuff online. I think you could so easily awesome. adapt these into into phone games. It's really popular. Actually, there there's I don't know if how into anything any sort of iPhone games people are, but there's actually a card game that just came out from a Japanese company called I think the display name is just Rain, but I I don't know what the the full name is and it's this card game and what gets me about it is just the translation into English is horrifying <laughs> it's a really cool oh looking game if I could figure out how to play it like I, I do stuff and I feel like I'm doing a good job but I really don't know what any of the statistics <laughs> on the cards mean and and just like the, the tenses Yikes. are wrong and I'm like I don't I don't really know what I'm doing but I'm having fun doing it <laughs> <laughs> the art's beautiful, but like I, I feel like like quality games of that type are kind of severely lacking. I mean, I haven't found any that I like, but I think they could be super popular, especially with the rise of services like Game Center, which allow you to be matched up with random opponents. It would be really cool. Absolutely. You know, it's doing some app games with stuff I've got right now and, and stuff I'm working on for the future is definitely on the radar. We'll def I'll, I'll, we'll go ahead and say that. I mean, and it's one of those things, tabletop gamers, you know, have always been on the high end of the technology curve, you know, and they and they love like playing games. I mean, I, I've been playing Ticket to Ride with, with friends on my iPad for the last month. Have you tried Letterpress? new it's this it's, one i don't it's know like a word it's a word game it's not like a card game and there's nothing really sci-fi about it unless you decided to do like sci-fi words but it's it's actually like one of those just like fun little addicting games that like worms into your head and then you're playing it at all hours of the night um it's basically there's no one player <laughs> mode and you just get this like boggle sort of grid of letters and you have to just make words out of them and you trade back and forth making words until every letter has been used once but there's there's a little more to it than that, but and the scoring is a little interesting. But it it's a really really fun game, and if you can make something that's like not, it doesn't have to be the most complicated thing in the world to just be awesome and fun to play, basically. That's true. So, full disclosure: oh, I work for awesome. a company that makes apps. <laughs> Very nice, Korea. I feel like I have to disclose that. No, that I that's very ethical of you. <laughs> so yeah, when speaking of sci-fi and games that I'm working on, the the one that I'm in the I'm hip deep in right now is I am relaunching um, the very first sci-fi RPG that ever came out in the history of the world uh, called Metamorphosis Alpha, and I am bringing back a completely you know just revised and new version. I'm essentially launching it as if it was new. Uh, because at this point, there's a lot of gamers who aren't familiar with its history. So I want to—I don't want it to rest on the fact that this is a classic game. I want it to show everybody it's cool on its own merits. Can you give us some background on it? Well, the the the, the couple of words version is mutants on a spaceship. <laughs> the, uh, the longer explanation for that. Um, okay, imagine this. This is a a, a colonizing ship 
has left Earth and is going off to a distant star to colonize a new world, and it's going to take you know maybe a, you know as much as a dozen generations or more to even reach this destination. This is, and so you know literally. It's got multiple decks that simulate different environments on Earth so they can hold every single example of life on Earth so to make it to this new world. Well, somewhere, at some point along this journey of the Starship Warden, something bad happens. Uh, there's a disaster that leaves the ship half-wrecked um, and this uh, mutating energy that is killed off or, and or mutated uh, you know, everything, every other living thing around. And so now generations and maybe even hundreds of years have gone by since this disaster. And literally there's only a handful of um, unaltered humans left. And pretty much every living thing on the ship has gone primitive. They don't even know they're on a ship anymore. That's just the world that they live on. So when you play Metamorphosis Alpha, you're playing generally a primitive mutant running around the starship trying to survive not even necessarily knowing the nature of your world and technology itself is treated almost like magic or an artifact that you have to figure out and see if it's useful or not um, and there's danger around every corner and just it's it's a high action exploration it, you know it, it just defies the usual description because it plays kind of like a D&D style dungeon crawl where Starship corridors and different areas of the deck, fighting monsters, but at the same time, X-Men kind of mutant superpowers, and at the same time, the actual trappings are sci-fi. There's lasers and lasers and robots and, and mutants and all of that kind of thing. Lasers and robots and mutants? Oh my. Uh, I say it's got everything. <laughs> so, Jamie, most of the projects that I'm seeing on your website got their startup funding or initial funding to Kickstarter? Well, just two. Uh, Building Elder God, uh, and then the one I was just mentioning, Metamorphosis Alpha. Um, the other stuff, right now Pantheon did completely on our own, and it's currently just a print and play. And then the, the Very Hungry Cthulhu Pillar is available for sale on that one. But I'm seriously considering using Kickstarter as an avenue to fund and pre-sell both of those when we actually do the, the full versions. Uh, so that printed and sold in stores. So let me ask you a question. Uh, you've had a lot of success using Kickstarter as a crowdfunding platform. I am two for two. I'll knock on the desk. Why do you think that is? Um, I think, well, for one thing, now, uh, just in the tabletop publishing scene, Kickstarter is a, is a big deal. And it's, I mean, literally it was what everybody was talking about uh, this year when we were at the Gamma Trade Show in Vegas, which is our industry trade show for what I do. And so much so that, I, that, that our organization is actually trying to invite a representative from Kickstarter out to speak and talk about that. Um, and, I, and I think, too, for me, more personally, I've been very active on social networking for a while now and pretty successful about using it as a way to... to spread the word about what I'm up to and recruit help and and so I felt like I was kind of tapped in that kind of environment already and so working into Kickstarter just worked out and I think that I looked at what some of my friends were doing and they had successful Kickstarters so I just paid attention to did my homework before and had a plan before I launched I made sure we had a fun video for both of them um, that we had that, that we had updates and things we were ready to talk about that we had 
stretch goals in mind uh, for once we actually made our initial funding. We had sensible goals of, uh, for backers who, you know, in exchange for their investment. So it's just essentially it was, it was doing all that, doing my homework, having a plan, and then having the, at the end of the day, having a cool product that, that gamers wanted. And so they voted with their money. Um, right now, it's one of those things, Metamorphosis Alpha is you know, running late, and uh, I'm trying to be better about keeping our backers better informed. I get yelled at by email you know, about once a week or so uh, from people just saying, you know, tell us what's going on. What stage is the project in? When is it going to be out? So, uh, so I literally just posted a big update on the Metamorphosis Alpha um, Kickstarter today about just what's going on, gave a peek at a piece of artwork, and that kind of thing. So it... You know, there's there's a number of people who, when you look at it, seem like they have a plan, seem like they've done their homework, and yet it still doesn't get off the ground. There's a lot more to it than just just that. Yeah, and 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 things are things are always changing. I mean, even I mean, I, I haven't. My last Kickstarter was you know way early in the year. And even between then and now, there has been a bit of a culture shift because suddenly, instead of it being these small companies and individuals with ideas, suddenly a bunch of existing companies, even really big successful ones with millions of dollars in the bank, decided to jump on board. Um, uh, Steve Jackson Games did their Ogre Kickstarter, you know, and they make you know to say that Munchkin is a successful game is you yeah. Know, <laughs> So it's not like they needed the money, but they chose that to be a way to gauge the interest and to not basically they're not they're not having to risk anything. They were able to literally get all their production money for Ogre. That way it's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. But when these really big high profile companies are doing it, it does take away the attention and the dollars from some of the smaller ones. And some people complain that that's changing Kickstarter from its intention, but I'm never one to whine uh, about that kind of thing. It's like, you know, that's just business. Things change, you have to adjust. And I know some people are, are looking at other, you know, alternative crowdfunding solutions like Indiegogo or just other sites. Um, but, you know, so far I did okay with Kickstarter and I honestly feel like I'm going to stick with it. Um, I, uh, for my future stuff, at least for the time being, unless things change. But just you have to figure out how you stand out and you need to, to have your solid plan communication. And you can't just let it sit there, too. You need to you know, take advantage of your own network and get your people to spread the word for you. That was one thing I really had going for me was a lot of people uh, involved in my Kickstarters, they took off and were promoting it on their own. And it really you know, got way more... Uh, exposure and made the funding happen a lot faster than I would have thought. Well, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I've had a successful and a non-successful campaign. Um, and for me, when I started Kickstarter, I saw you know things like the Amanda Palmer project and stuff coming in that was making millions mm. and millions of dollars. So for somebody new, things like Star Trek Renegades and things that have names behind them kind of give a false sense of security to somebody that hasn't done their homework yet. Um, because you don't realize that they're trading off of a little bit of the thing that Jamie said, which is that community that you build on your own. So the second one that I did, I actually scaled it down, just focused on my community, focused on exactly what we needed. Um, and it's a lot of work. I mean, it's 30 days of your life that you're really dedicating to, to this. Um, yeah, that's another thing. You update, update, update. 
Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm talking about I've talked about how I'm still updating after the project, which is also important. But man, when you're still running it, it literally becomes an everyday thing. And you, the trick is is not letting it take over your life. I, I found for like two weeks that's all I did, and I was forgetting that I actually had games to make and stuff to write. I, I think um, the people, I, I think I, the people who um, are offended by larger companies being on Kickstarter and using that platform are like. Um, completely missing the point and maybe maybe intentionally it, it feels like because what they don't seem to understand is that everyone with a big name who brings someone onto the Kickstarter website who has never been there before gives them a better chance yeah and well let's say it's, like I said it's a trade-off after a while though there's there are so many more you know, higher profile things, it's a little bit harder for the little guys to get noticed, even though there's yeah. a bigger network to draw from. So it's it's kind of a trade. I mean, when even, I mean, just literally in the last year, Kickstarter went from being a much more, you know, smaller project, independent idea thing to now all the companies figured out, way there's great money and low risk in this. But at the same time, there's, you know, you, you don't cry about it. That's just the nature of the beast. You have to, to deal with it. Nobody owes you something. There's, there's no reason why... Uh, you know, a big game company shouldn't you you know fund something through Kickstarter that they don't want to you know invest in that way. But at the same time, they have to be willing to give a chunk of their money to Amazon and to Kickstarter to to handle all that stuff. So you know, it's like in the end, you know, it's a business decision on everybody's part. Mm-hmm. But you know, I try to at least kind of browse around and see which ones I would want to support. Um, and sometimes the I'll wait until. The big companies don't need my help in the beginning, and I'll, I'll just wait. It's a decision that users can make on their own. Yeah, the the only issue that I ran into is because, like, a project with a nature of mine where we're not making money, all the proceeds go to charity, technically could not exist on the Kickstarter platform. Right. Um, mm. Because they're, they, they basically don't want anything to go to charity. They don't want anything to, like, because they don't want churches to come in. And this is the reason that I was given. They don't want churches and other nonprofit organizations to come in and use this as a tool for fundraising. Their intent is really for you to create products and yeah, create for, yeah, for small businesses. For sure. small businesses. And they're like, yeah. well, what you're doing is very admirable. Um, I can create projects like our sizzle reel. We're not using that to, to give money to, pro- to charity. We're using that as the vehicle, kind of like Wormwood is to say, this is what we're doing. We'd like you to give us money. So, like the next time we do fundraising, we'll go to Indiegogo because they're doing the Red Cross thing. Right. Um, future projects that I'm going to work on where there's profit involved, like we're working, I'm working on something with uh, the guy from Thoroughboy Pillows on a Daily Booth documentary. We'll totally do that on Kickstarter because that's for pro- for profit. Right. It's just a question of where do you want to go and what can they allow you to do. So it's just business, different business plans, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like I've been full-time in the hobby game industry now since 2001 and even in that time you know the there have been shifting trends in our business and things that have come and gone and, and even completely collapsed and you know and I also too I work with a lot of game stores and retail has had a really rough time over the last 10 years especially for the nerd crowd who's gotten more and more comfortable with ordering their stuff online sure. and while I totally sympathize with businesses that struggle can't ever get into this comfortable mode where you feel like anybody owes you something. Your customers, your you know suppliers, the the people who are making so everybody, you know they make they're making sensible decisions for themselves. 
And it's like, I, I buy lots of stuff on Amazon. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to, you know, game purchases, I try to spend a certain amount of my game dollars at my local game store because I need, I want it to still be around. It has, you know, organized play and good people that I've known a long time and they have selection and that I can browse through in a way that you really can't replicate online and I'm willing to pay a few extra bucks to do that. So it's just like you have to, you, know, you have to make your decisions and, and understand that things change and you have to roll with the punches. It's one of the reasons why even my card games are going to have downloadable versions because there's a certain number of my customers who don't want to, you know, they don't want to buy a $20 box game, but they may buy a $5 file they can mess with themselves, you know, decide from there. So it's a lot like the comic industry, comic book industry, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's yeah, happening yeah, with definitely. them? Tablets are changing everything for comics. And awesomely, and yet if you want your, saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yet if you want your, your local comic book store, your local game store to stay intact... You have to make that decision that you know. Uh, I want to go there. Right. I want to be a part of that. That keeping that industry alive because well, it has a part to play. It has a role to play does. in it. That's That's right. store, but it's the store's job to make that experience worth it. Right. Just, the right. Word of, I mean, it's like the, the I've seen so many shops close, but the one locally to me is uh, Doctor Knows Comics and Games. I, I used to go there and and browse after my piano lessons when I was eight years old. This is a store that's literally been around since the early, well, I mean, I honestly don't even know when it opened, but since the early 80s at least. And it is actually twice the size it used to be, you know, a bigger selection. It, I am so impressed with how that business has thrived when so many others have just, you know, gone the way of the dodo. Well, I mean, I think to take well, I think- a very another very specific example, um, Double Midnight Comics in, in Manchester, New Hampshire, who we love very much, yep. um, they do yep. a fantastic job of connecting with their audience. I know that they have so much going on in the store. They have so they many have events. Of events. On a, on I mean, and it's not just yes. like they make a huge deal out of Free Comic Book Day. There were lines around the block at Free Comic Book Day, and they have tournaments for all of their games that they do all the time. And they've really been able to connect mm-hmm. and build a really strong community around their store. And so they've been able to expand in this community where, as you said, so many stores are closing their doors forever. Mm-hmm. Well, I think to be honest, it's kind of just same way Jamie had mentioned that when you go to Kickstarter and you start like some start something a project like that, you have to go in with a, a plan and a business model and you make decisions. As a consumer, you have to do the same thing. Like when I when I support something on Kickstarter, I'm supporting it because it's either a project that a friend has driven, it's an indie project, or an up and coming store like Jamie has that kind of deserves some attention, or it's it's something that's like kind of. I don't know. I I supported projects that are created by people that you don't hear about anymore um, that are probably fallen by the wayside but meant something to me 20 years ago. So I'm not necessarily going after the the Seth Godin who I could go get his book in the bookstore, but I'm helping the Jamie Chambers. And then when the the game comes out in the stores, I'm going to go to like my local shop, which is like games and comics and stuff, and pick up a copy of it there as well. So it's definitely being conscious and knowing that you're going to do support the brick and mortar as well as supporting online. See my philosophy... Yeah, and that's one of the cool. Sorry, go ahead, Jamie. 
I was just going to say it's one of the the other cool side effects of the Kickstarter thing is that the people who did back your your project are often very evangelical, and, <laughs> it, and they they feel in, they feel invested. They feel like they and they are very right that they may helped make something happen. So they literally will be the one who goes to their game shop and maybe not be quite as cool as Mike and buy a second copy, but at the very least they'll check it out and ask if it's there and talk to them. It's like, oh well, you know, they're they're spreading the word for me and helping make sure that my game was stocked. I yeah. was really excited that one third of my print run was sold the first month. That's something awesome that to be excited a- about. <laughs> well, it absolutely is. I Very think, Jamie, I think it kind of comes down to like when you said evangelical, if, if you're a fan of something and Firefly is like a big kind of, you know, litmus test and case study for exactly that. Very if you're a fan of something, you pick up the copy that you like and to get somebody else, you use the drug dealer model. You pick up a copy and you give them the extra copy because then they do the or same thing. Or you invite them kind over of and have a party and show it to them and then they're like, holy shit, I need to see the rest of this. And you're like, oh, sorry, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> but you could get it here if you wanted to watch the rest of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Back before uh, the movie Serenity came out, that was the whole fan thing we did where the idea was you would loan somebody only disc one <laughs> yep. from, your, from your box set, and then if they wanted the rest, you'd say, no, you you have to go buy exactly. it. Buy it. That's, that's the real drug dealer model. Yeah. Oh, get him hooked while First they're young. First one's free, baby. <laughs> So, Mike, while we've got you here, I mean, uh, let's talk for a little bit about yeah, Z-Con. Yeah, give us a quick update, dude. Yeah. What's yeah, going please. on with that? Oh my God, I'm like literally Why? depressed. I'm not not depressed. I'm I'm really excited. It's got a lot of traction. We we did New York Comic Con, and that was awesome. We we turned out about 200 zombies, um, and we had MTV Geek come by, and they filmed something there. Two of the guys from Supernatural got turned into zombies, so that was really really oh. cool. But like the douchebag thing happened the same month because we had this warehouse that um, the same people that we worked with on Redemption and we talked to them back in April before we started the Kickstarter campaign and we said we want to do this again, we want 30 days. They said sure check back in with us, no problem. So when it comes time to check in with them and say we're ready to go uh, they stall us out for 30 days and we go to New York Comic Con and then we get the bad news that um, we have to go look for a new place because it's just not possible. So where we are right now is that we're looking for a new warehouse space. And I think what we may end up doing is, is starting a new uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign just to ask for like $5,000 to get rental space for it. And because when we did our budget for a Kickstarter, I mean, Jamie will tell you, when you do your Kickstarter budget, you're not just pay, asking for the things you need money for. You're asking for 10% to go to Amazon and Kickstarter. You're asking for a portion of that to pay for all the rewards you have to get. Yeah, and so, sometimes you don't necessarily calculate what the real costs are going to be because it's very absolutely. hard to do. Um, so it's something I've been dealing with. It's like, oh, I undervalued a certain thing. Oh, yeah. I, so, you know, and the T-shirts that you, when you do the, your 60 days out before your Kickstarter campaign, when you price those, that price could change drastically. So by the time it's time to get your rewards, they could be a dollar or two more. Um but, and that dollar or two for a couple of hundred people makes a big difference. That's that right. actually happened to a project, well, kind of happened to a project that I was backing recently, and they were actually really nice and very transparent about the whole process, and I really like that when they do things like that. It really gives me a lot of insight into how the company is working and, and what they're going to do when you see how they handle a situation like that. What the, what happened was is yeah. they, it, the company 
was a, a piece of hardware and it, it's a cool little laptop accessory and it works with micro SD cards so they oh, so they yes, went yes, yes, to um, a vendor to negotiate a discounted price on a crap ton of 64 gig micro SD cards which is currently the biggest that you can buy and they sent out an update offering these for sale in their store you can add it on to your Kickstarter order somehow they know you by your address or something um so I was like, this is the awesomest price I have ever seen for these. You probably can't get them at this price. And I'm sure a lot of people did that, and I'm sure a lot of people did something maybe slightly unethical and shared the coupon code with maybe people who didn't back Kickstarter, because about a week later we got another update that said, I'm sorry we've had to pull these. Our supplier who gave us this quote backed out of the price, and now we're taking a loss of you know, several dollars per unit. And they didn't say how many they sold, but I'm really sure at that price it was a substantial number. <clears throat> they said the right thing to yeah. do here, we're going to take a loss on this for you. We're just really sorry we can't offer these for sale at this time anymore. And there there were people who were really sweet about it and said, oh, cancel my order then. And they were like, no, no, no. We promised you this. We're sending it to you. Just we wanted to let you know it was up and why it was going to be taken down. And I thought that was really classy, but it just goes to show you that the issues that these projects have to go through, I mean, for every one time that someone tells you that something like that happens, it's got to happen like 20 times. Well, sure. I think the, the biggest thing is Jamie's, Jamie's absolutely right in the sense that, like, the supporters don't owe you anything. You owe them something. You owe them your appreciation to at least do your due diligence and inform them as to what's going on. And that's um, the thing, a lot of them are really understanding about delays or, or some changes that you had to make along the way, but they expect communication and a, and a certain level of transparency because they, you know, they did, you know, invest and contribute in, and took a risk on what you were doing and so they, they want answers. They want to know what's going on and what the timetable is going to be and if things change, they want to know that too. I've been guilty in, on my own, um, for Metamorphosis Alpha, it's it's been delayed and it's frustrating for me uh, more than anybody else. Even though <laughs> a lot of people don't believe that, but um, I I want I love having I want my updates to have substance to them, and I really d hate just I don't want to post once a week. Hey, we're still working on it, and just leave it at that. I want to yeah. actually have something to show them. I want to have something meaningful to say or have a piece of content. And so sometimes if I don't have that or, or you know things are going haywire, I just leave it alone. But dead silence really bothers uh, the Kickstarter. Yes. They do not like it at all. Well, that, that's the big thing. Is like I've had a couple conversations with a few people about the difference of why they support Kickstarter over Indiegogo. And there's a certain sort of integrity that comes with Kickstarter. Um, because you don't get the money unless you fully succeed and they expect updates and all these other things. But you're absolutely right. That continues after the, the campaign is over. And I'm on the same boat. I'd rather give you a substance, like like this is a meaty update once every three weeks than hit your post every day with, hey, we're still plugging away. Yeah, but the funny thing is that so many of the guys tell me, and gals, um, that that they would they would be perfectly content just to hear from me or have something, but it's just so against my nature uh, to just say nothing other than I'm still here and I'm not just you know haven't just moved to Mexico. I would like to Sealed thank you for my beach house. Line, we're not dead yet. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I it's funny timely because I really did just post a big update today about what's going on on my that project. 
Well, I, I was actually waiting for this podcast to give that update because now I'm going to go put that update on Kickstarter when we're done. There you go. <laughs> no, I had that happen. I contributed to an author, and we literally have not heard from that person in over nine months. You were. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating because it's the Tiger Woods thing, like. The minute that you know something's wrong and they don't say anything for an extended period of time, whatever you, whatever your head creates is far yeah. worse than reality. Yeah. And then sometimes it's absolutely true. There's 14 hookers and you just don't. <laughs> and there's the point at which we're going to have to stop. Do we have okay. to? We kind of do. Kinda Jamie. Sort of. Chambers of Signal Fire Studios. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. And seriously, uh, anytime you got something to say or you just want to hang out, you're more than welcome here. Very cool. Thank you guys. All righty. Hey, Sombrarian. Yes, indeed. Is there a coming up calendar? Anybody? There isn't a coming up calendar this week, but there will be next week. We we could announce next week's guest, right? Are they set in stone? No. That's why there isn't a coming up calendar this I week. I thought we have one. Sorry. I know what oh, you're talking I about. Phone. Okay. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday phones. Night. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, and of ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by The Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold a Folk, at RobWattsOnline.com. Dome. Our guest tonight is Jamie Chambers, Signal Fire Studios. Sitting in the guest chair tonight, Michael Doherty, Coach and Zcon. From the Revere Time Vortex, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana and Grandma Girl Zombrarian. Thank you very much, Holy. ladies. <laughs> Holy. From the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you, Dead Redhead. It's like Marco Polo now. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joys increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Hi, folks. Good night. Dinosaur bones. Oh, I know.